Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Thank you again for being here. Uh, we're in this series called Fail Proof, uh, and we're studying um, the little-sighted um, work of Peter in his second letter to his band of believers um, whom he knew by name, men and women and children that he had known by name. He was a pastor to them, and they had been scattered across the region, across the region because of their faith in Jesus, and they had been persecuted and forced to flee from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas uh, because of intense pressure, and they were dealing with things that they never imagined that they'd have to deal with, pressure and struggles from within, from without, from the government, from, from all over the place, and it was really um, a challenging time. So in his first letter, he's just encouraging them about suffering and about how and what they can do in that. And then in his second letter, and particularly the, the verses, verses 1 through 11 we're studying, he's talking to them about how to grow in their faith, that they don't have to, even in the midst of opposition and tr- struggle and hard time and suffering, you can, you, you can grow. He says, nothing is missing from, 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 from them. God has given them everything they need. Um, for life and for godliness. We read that. Um, nothing is mi- missing except um, our effort at growing our own, our own faith. Not, not our salvation, but growing our faith. And this is why he says we should, in verse 5, he says we should add to our faith. Uh, and then he goes on a list of seven virtues. The, the church fathers, the early church fathers called them the, the seven capital virtues, the sort of heavier counterweight to the seven deadly sins that we often read about. And then he lists these seven virtues that he says if we add, he says we'll, we'll, we'll share in God's own divine nature. We'll become participants in God's own divine nature. And he says we will have God's divine power at work. And he says if we'll do this in increasing measure, meaning slowly but surely over time, um, we won't be fruitless, we won't be ineffective, and that our faith will not fall. That's what he says. Our faith will not fall. We will not fall. Now, Peter knows something about this. Because in Luke chapter 22, um, this is right before Jesus is about to be handed over um, to, to, to the cross, to, to, to go to the cross. And he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, this is Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon, which is a, a, the surname of Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you, all of the 12, as we. He's asked to scatter all of you all over the place. And he says, then he looks specifically at Peter and says, but I have prayed for you, Peter that your faith would not fail. And he says, and when you've returned, because he fails immediately, he's praying for his faith, not for Peter to fail, not to fail, because Peter fails literally immediately after this. He denies Christ three times. He says, but, but when, you've, when you've returned, when you've gotten back up on the, on the saddle, encourage your brothers, strengthen your brothers. And that's what we're reading some of here is his efforts to do just that. But the growth that he experienced was not overnight. We said this from every service, every part of the series. Its growth is gradual and it's progressive. It, it, builds, it builds up steam over time. It gets faster and faster, but it starts out slow. So, so I want to talk about this now. One of these character, We've been going characteristic by characteristic. We're coming to perseverance today. Can we just have real talk in the room today and say that sometimes life is hard? Yes or no? Life is hard, right? And no one knows this and understands this better than the people to whom Peter is writing. So here he is now many, many years later. Many years later, he's writing 
this letter and he doesn't yet know it, but he's about to die for his faith. And tradition says that he was crucified but because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way his Lord was. He decided to be crucified upside down. And even in the face of, of horrific death, his faith did not fail him. And so nobody understands this better than Peter and the people he's writing to that life is hard. And so he says in verse five, for this very reason, the very reason is that they have everything they need for life and godliness. For this very reason, make every effort to add to, or to, the word is invest, to invest in your faith and the characteristics, and then we come to this word perseverance. Um, he says, if you do these in increasing measure, these, these characteristics to your faith, you will not f- fumble, you will not stumble. A- a- add to your faith perseverance because it's too soon to quit. He says that, you know, we, he doesn't say this, but we say winners never quit and quitters never when, right? So the, the word that Peter uses here in the, in, in the original text is hupomene. Hupomene. I had to look that up, by the way. Come on. That was, that's a hard word to say because it just looks like hypome, right? That's hupomene. And it means steadfastness. Some translations say it means patience, right? The ability, it's endurance. But it literally means to stand your ground. Can we say this together? Stand your ground. So, so in a military sense of the word, it's, it's, it's stay by your post. Um, d- don't, don't, don't let setbacks defeat you. Don't let opposition distract you. Never give up. Hupomene. And I, I think about biblical perseverance in two ways. The, fir- the first, I think, is obvious, is that, is that um, it means that, that life sometimes gets hard in spots or in seasons, that there will be suffering that is inevitable, and we don't like to talk about that in, in America, but other parts of the world, they know this very, very personally, that, that, that suffering is part of the human condition, that sickness comes, and, and some people experience death and, and the loss of people they love, and there are breakups, and there are relational failures, and there are financial pressures, and, 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 and life, real life involves suffering on some level, and everybody suffers in life, so... Um, be joyful and you're welcome, right? Go in peace now, right? <laughs> Super upbeat today, right? And he's saying in those moments when, when, when life is hard, persevere, in, endure in patience, endure in hopefulness that whatever it is that you're going through in this season, in this moment right now, it isn't the end. Hold on to hope. And I think we all understand that definition. It just means that when you suffer, you stay put, Right? When you suffer, if, if you stay put, if you bear up, if you stand your ground, if you stay put in suffering, it's going to turn you into something. Right. Suffering is going to, to do something. And I think this is what James meant when he wrote in James chapter 1, because you know that the testing of your faith, that a faith that is not tested is really not a faith at all, yes or no. Right? That the testing of your faith, it has a product that it produces, it produces perseverance, right? So, so it's, he's, not talking about, he's not talking about passive endurance. He's talking about staying power, the ability to hang in there, to keep hanging in there when life gets hard. And, and the Greek here in James is literally the ability to stay put under pressure, right? And James and Peter both know that perseverance turns you into something. It brings out something from you that can come from you no other way. And James goes on and says in verse four, let perseverance... Finish its work. Now, this is important, y'all, because 
Because a lot of times when stress and troubles and trials come our way, we want to numb. We want to escape to whatever that we use to escape. And everybody has something that they use to escape. We want to escape from, from it. But he says, you got to let it finish its work so that you may be, what, mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything? Yeah, not lacking anything. So, so on the one hand, James says you won't lack anything, but Peter, on the other hand, says you have everything you need for life and for godliness. And James says if you stand your ground, if you have perseverance, it'll mature you and complete you, and you'll lack nothing. In other words, you gain something you wouldn't otherwise gain if you didn't go through suffering sometimes. You, you grow in a way you wouldn't otherwise grow when you grow through struggle. You gain the ability to get through what feels unget throughable. Come on, can we just start that as a new word? Hashtag unget throughable. Some of you right now are going through things that you don't know if you can get through them. But perseverance and testing helps you get ready for the moments in life that feel unget-throughable. So perseverance means the ability to stay put under pressure. But there's another kind of perseverance that I think Peter is talking about that is different. It's nuanced, but it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's, it's the notion of standing your ground and not giving an inch, right? Not quitting uh, and, and, and it's specifically related to opposition that comes to us about our faith. Now, now, I don't even mean about your own faith. I mean about the faith, right? The word of God, the Bible, Jesus. That opposition comes to you because you have faith in Jesus. When pressure and hardship come to you because of your faith, because of what you believe about the Bible, because of what you think this Bible means, Right, that you mean it's literal and it means and it's infallible and that there is no defect in it because of who you've put your hope and trust in. When there's a war coming to you for your faith, on your faith, persevere is what Peter is saying. Stand your ground, don't back down, don't cave under pressure. So, so, so something I need you to realize is that when Peter writes this letter here, Second Peter, when he writes this letter and he's telling them all these beautiful things. He's not, this, this, he doesn't know this is going to become part of this that we're reading. This is a personal letter that he's writing to people he knows and loves and cares for. And, and these are people that he knows that have so many reasons to quit, right? To not stand their ground. These people weren't just having a bad day. They were having bad decades. They had been scattered all through the world. They were suffering greatly because of this. And, and, and some of it was due to just life itself, the normal stuff that all of us go through. But most of it was directly tied to one thing. And that is that they had said yes to Jesus. Right? They, they were Christians at a time when, and at a place where it was dangerous and cost dearly to be so, to be a Christian. R remember James and Peter both are writing to Jewish believers that have been scattered all over the region and are, are suffering greatly. So, so let me tell you how this works. Then they've resettled all over the, in, in places where they won't be directly persecuted and killed like they were being in Jerusalem. So now they're living in, in towns where the local townsfolk were suspicious of them and, and hostile to them. They were immigrants who had showed up and, and, and they were hostile to them and suspicious of them 
because they refuse to pay tribute to or to give homage to, to and honor to the local deities. And so, so then that if anything went sort of cosmically wrong in the area, whether it's drought or fire or famine or a poor harvest or a, or a small catch from the sea, then these Christians must be the cause for all of this run of bad luck. They have all these local deities, these little foreign gods, these little G-O-Ds. And it's not Jehovah, it's not Yahweh, right? It's just these little created beings that they had imagined, someone had imagined that they gave tributes to and, and honored to and built temples for. And so all of the run of bad luck that's happening sort of cosmically in their lives must be because of these new people that have showed up with their strange religion and this Jesus person that we don't know. And so they don't worship our gods. They don't buy into our culture. They don't, they don't do things the way we do. And so they were mocked and they were hated and they were persecuted, often arrested and sometimes even killed. They suffered greatly for their faith in Christ. And if anybody has a reason to quit or, 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 or a right to quit, these people did suffering became normal to them because of their faith in Jesus, their faith. Pay attention now, their faith, their worldview, their morality was at harsh odds, sharp angles even with the rest of their culture. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, but you are a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In the King James, he says, a peculiar people. You're so different from the culture around you and it's causing these people pain and, and suffering. And this is why Peter mentions suffering 17 times in his first letter alone. But, but here's the thing about their suffering. See, much of it, in fact, I would argue most of it, would vanish immediately if these believers would do just one simple thing. Quit. Leave their post not stand their ground, blend in with, go with the flow, give obeisance to the local deities, just stop being who you are and do what we do here now. Just quit your faith or, or at the very least quit talking about it. Quit obeying God's word, especially when it puts you at odds with what everyone else is doing. Quit worshiping, quit walking in purity, quit countering the culture, let go of your old fashioned sense of morality. Quit believing that Jesus is coming back. Just quit and the pain will go away. Just say, I never knew him and everyone will leave you alone. Isn't that right, Peter? Just stop what you're doing and leave your post and the suffering will go away. But Peter, see, has been made wise through the years and here he is facing his own death He's had failings, he's had sufferings, and so he's adamant to these people, please hear me, don't quit. Trust me on this one, to your foundation of faith, add perseverance, the capacity to stand your ground, even in the face of persecution, even if people will put you in the margins of the culture, don't quit, stand your ground. So Peter's two letters 
list at least a dozen reasons why these believers might want to quit. So let me go through them quickly. First Peter 1 and 1, they're living like refugees, like strangers in the world scattered throughout the earth. First Peter 1 and 6, they suffer grief in all kinds of trials. First Peter 2 and 12, they're falsely accused and blamed for things they didn't even do. First Peter 2 and 18 and 19, they are subjected to, to brutal working conditions. First Peter 3 and 13, they're punished for doing good and doing the right things. First Peter 4 and 3, they're enticed to sin by those around them. First Peter 4 and 4, they are abused and insulted when they won't join in the sin of other people. First Peter 4 and 12, they're punished for following Jesus. First Peter 5 and 8, they're harassed and threatened by the devil himself who wants to eat them alive. He goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Second Peter 2, the whole chapter, they're, they're, they're surrounded by false teachers trying to mislead them. Second Peter 3 and 3, they're mocked by neighbors who find their faith delusional and naive. They are disappointed with God who 2 Peter 3, 9 says, seems to be slow in keeping his promises to them. Why continue in a faith like that? Wouldn't it be so much easier then to just move on and take your losses? Just quit, man. It's easy. Throw in the towel. Admit defeat. You made a mistake. You backed the wrong movement. Now, to me, this is increasingly relevant in the time and the day that you and I live in, our faith and our belief and trust in what God's word says and, and that it, is, it means what it says is becoming increasingly at odds with the current and popular opinions, which also aren't even really considered opinions, but facts that we are to live by. And this is kind of where I'm going here, that the more that this goes against, this goes against the tide of culture, will you be able to stand your ground? Will you be able to stand firm, to hold your ground? And I'm not talking about in an adversarial, confrontational, you know, spew garbage on Facebook kind of way. Come on, can I get a hashtag amen on that, right? right. But, but can you in grace, in love, with compassion, in patience, in faithfulness, will you hold your ground? Will you take your stand on and for God's word when it will cost you dearly to do so? Or, or will we cut and paste God's word to fit the culture and the times? Will we, will we bend God's word to fit our lives or will we bend our lives to fit God's word? Will you persevere or will you be rolled along by the tides of change? Why keep at any of this if it's gonna cause trouble in your life? And I'm just telling you to trust me on this. It's gonna cause more and more trouble to stand on God's word in the months and years to come. Why do it then? Because it's the one thing that's going to save your life. That word. So, so, so the most obvious and yet simultaneously the most overlooked thing about perseverance is that it only makes sense if you're heading in the right direction. It only makes sense to stand your ground on something if you're doing the right thing. Because if you're not, then it's foolish to suffer just for no reason. Come on. But if you are, if you are going the right way, if you are doing, in the, uh, doing the right things, you're a fool to quit no matter how hard the journey. If you have found the one road that leads to life, then for God's sake, stay the course. No matter the cost, stand your ground, somebody. See, see, see there's a goal before all of us. There, there's a prize at the end of the road, 
And this is not just some random or, 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 or sophomoric struggle like some passing cause to join up to because it's popular to do so. This is not suffering for its own sake. Either this accomplishes something, this life that we're living, either it accomplishes something or don't bother. A journey, though, that is dangerous and difficult and long and arduous, it only makes sense if the road leads home. And if the road leads home, never give up. Never back down. Stand your ground. This is what Peter does and say, stay the course. And, And here's why. Because of what is ahead, the glory that will be revealed, even in the face of mockery or insult, or even in the face of loss or marginalization or pushed out to the edge of culture, don't let your faith fail. Stand your ground. Peter has a goal in mind. And here's what he says in verse 10 of our chapter. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort. Here's the second time he's telling us to make every effort to confirm your calling. Like make sure of it. Make sure you know what you're part of and your election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. The ESV says you will never fall. I love that. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter has the ultimate end in view as he's nearing the end of his life. He's starting to see why it all mattered, why all the trouble, why all the trial, why all the suffering. He's starting to catch a glimpse of it. It's like he can see into the next realm. And he has his eye on the prize. In fact, when you read Peter, his writings, he virtually cannot speak of suffering without also reminding about the magnificent rewards that are on the other side of suffering. So so Paul has the same way. He says in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings, the things that are going through that are real, that are painful, that are hard, that are hurtful, that are causing stress, that are keeping me awake at night, that those things are not even worth comparing to or comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Meaning all of the real stuff that's going on that hurts, that's so painful, that, that's causing us to lose weight or in my case, gain weight. Can I get a witness on that? Because of carnisada and big red. Come on, I love it. People make fun of me every gathering about, why do you drink Big Red? They, they're new to San Antonio. They're not burro. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? They didn't grow up on the south side. I grew up on the south side. We drink Big Red on the south side. We go and we eat barbacoa. Come on. Like, I know I'm pasty white, but listen to me. I know. I know what I know. I'm born here. I didn't come from somewhere else. I was born in this town. Come on. Y'all don't know about shouting, but I just did some shouting right there. I have no idea what I'm even talking about now. <laughs> glory. Come on, glory. Glory. Carnegie's out and big red. Glory. Yeah. <laughs> Paul says none of, the, none of the things that feel so hard are worth being compared to the glory that's coming. So, so stand your ground. Even when it's hard, stand your ground. So so how do I build an endurance like Peter did? Um, I'm just going to use God's word um, here. 
Put, put on your armor. And, and that sounds weird, but we're talking about it. It's, it's a military sense. There's opposition. Stand your ground. Put on your armor. So, so, so Ephesians 6, Paul's writing to his friends at Ephesus. And this is the culmination of the letter. This is the last chapter. And, he, and he's saying before this, he's saying, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? And he said, that, but against principalities and, and powers of darkness and, and then the authorities uh, who rule in, in darkness. So, so, so he's saying, you often think that your enemies are people, but it's really not. It's, it's, it, there's evil forces at work in the world. And so he says, in light of that, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, now notice this, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. When I was young, we used to sing a song. After you've done all you can, you just stand. When there's nothing else to do, you just dance. I'm, I'm a little bit lost right here. Y'all don't know that kind of music, do you? Come on, Donnie McClurkin, anybody, go Google it because it'll, it'll change your life to listen to that song. Uh, and anyways, you're like, this brother has lost his mind. All right, anyway, you just stand. You stand. How do you get the ability to stand like that? Suffering, trial, test, over time, drip, 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 gradual, growth, stronger, little bit here, went through this thing, survived it, stronger now. Stand, stand, stand. When you've done everything you can do and you think, I can't do another thing, you just stand. And he says, put on the armor of God, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the, 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 the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, where which you can quench the fiery darts of the, of the wicked one, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Come on, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, yes. Like, like, I don't have time to get in all that, but I want you to go study that. Put that on. And then secondly, keep your eyes on Jesus. If, if you want to know how to stand when it feels impossible, look to Jesus who suffered greater than anyone ever has. And so Hebrews 12, the writer says, therefore... And what, what he means, therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, you always ask yourself, what's it there for? means that there's context behind. And I need to understand the context behind so I can understand this. This is chapter 12. Chapter 11 is the great hero list, the hall of fame, so to speak, of faith. And he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, they're like, they're cheering you on. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter or the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such what? Opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How did Jesus stand firm, stand strong from a Roman crucifixion, the horrific death that way? How did he stand that way? It says, for the joy that set before him and the purpose that was for him. So I believe that as he's there hanging on the cross and all he has to do is say, God, get me off of here. 
Angels, it says in one place he could have called angels to come and get him off. What keeps him on there is not nails, everybody. It's purpose. It's you. It's the joy of seeing you in a place like this. It's the joy of seeing me. Like I think while he was sitting there, he was imagining everybody who would say yes to him. And the price that he was about to pay on that cross was going to provide the answer to the sin question once and for all. I'm going to make it possible to pay their price, the price of their sin once and for all. And he's, he's standing there and he probably wanted to get down, but he didn't before the joy set before him. Consider him. And then it says to run the race that was set before us with endurance. He says, but he says before, he, before to run the race, he says to lay aside the weight and the sins that so easily entangle us. Now I know you can look at me and know that I... I'm no runner. Come on, somebody, right? I'm a power lifter, man. No, I'm not that either. Tacos, burritos, come on, nachos. But I've seen some runners. I've watched them on TV. Can I get a witness for TV and how good that is, right? It's interesting. If you ever go on the, uh, to watch along where a, a, a marathon, we have the rock and roll marathon here in, in the winter, December, usually late November, December. And people come out all cold, and so they're wearing hoodies and, and, and pants and gloves. And if you, walk, if you walk the trail after they've been through there, you start to see, it's like if you want to go shopping for Christmas, you just go there and, hey, some free gloves. Hey, look at those sweatpants that they don't need anymore, right? Because people start to lay aside stuff because it's getting in their way. It's actually, they thought they needed it, but they find out they don't need it. And so they're throwing it away all along the trail, and you can just pick it up, Right? And, and, and it's no different that we're, when we're to run our race that's been marked out for us with perseverance, we just have to discard stuff. We just have to discard stuff. And, and I'm just telling you, as I've gotten older, I turned 50 this last year. I've done this more and more. I've just discarded so much. It's just littered behind me. I hope it's okay to just do real talk here. When, when I was younger, and I don't mean much younger, I mean like yesterday, I had a, a, an oversized need for affirmation for people to say, a boy, or dude, you're killing it. And I learned that that was hurting me and harming me, and I just had to let go of that. It's a function of my personality. I'm just wired up to want that. You know, words of affirmation, love language, like that, that was mine, and I was like, I've got, got to put that aside because it was, it was becoming pride-oriented pride for me. Like... I grew up, my sister's here, she'll tell you, my brother's here, they'll tell you that when I was young, my mother would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be rich. Come on, can I get an amen on that? Right? I picked the wrong business, everybody. I had to let go of that, that, that need for money. This is going to be a weird one, but there was a part of me, there is a part of me that I have to wrestle. Some of this I'm still wrestling with, everybody. Can Real talk. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm laying it aside, but sometimes I have to do it again and again. Like, I thought I already get rid of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, lay it down again. There's a need for fame. And I don't mean fame out in the world. I just mean, like, notoriety amongst the, the believers. Like, oh, that dude's, wow, look at that guy. I had to throw that away. Um, honestly, a struggle with anger. Then until about eight or nine years ago, when I went through a recovery process with a bunch of pastors, I was able to turn and lay that aside through the help and grace of God. Just struggled with that, though. Not, not violent, not mean, not punchy. No, 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 no. Mouthy, mouthy. My wife will say amen to that. 
my need to compete with others. And I don't mean other like out there. I'm talking about pastors and churches. I had to throw that away because it's not helping God's cause. This isn't about me. This isn't about life point. It's about God. It's about his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how my competition with somebody else isn't helping get that ball rolled down the field. Get out of the way, Danny. Had to lay all that aside. And so, is it easy? No. Will I wrestle with some of this the rest of my life? Absolutely. But it's hindering me. Some of it had become sin to me. So, So Paul writes this incredible thing. Philippians 3. But whatever were gains to me, now, now circle this word right here in your Bible. Whatever were gains to me, meaning the thing that he thought he needed, the things that he thought he had to have in his previous life before he met Jesus. So it was reputation. It was fame. He was famous for, for his zealotry towards the, the Jewish Orthodox faith. Like he's famous for that. He was brilliant, schooled beyond measure. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. For the sake of Christ. What's more, I I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In other words, back it up for me. The things that I thought were so, so important, I now consider them nothing. Because I found something so much more valuable. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then he says, and I consider them garbage. And honestly, the word is actually dung. And I'm basically a 12-year-old boy, so I prefer that. Come on, can I get a witness on that? (laughs) All the things he thought were gains, he now considers them dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or from obeying traditions, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness or right standing with God that comes from God on the basis of faith. All the things that he thought were so important, he's just discarding them along his life's journey. They're getting in the way. It's a challenge. It's hard. Come on, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. What is easy is to drift towards ease and and godlessness and not holiness and not more and more like Jesus. That's the easy thing. The route Peter's calling us to is going to take every effort. Make every effort to add to your faith. Um, I can't finish this, so let, let me just say this. It's going to be difficult, all of it. But what if it's the only road that leads home? Will it be worth it then? Um, suffering that comes to all of us presses us. It presses us, and to find relief, we will do one of two things. We will either press ourselves into our self and selfishness, and self-centered things, or we will press ourselves into and root ourselves into the Spirit of God. We'll do one of two things with stress, with suffering, with pain, with hardships. We'll go and, 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 and numb and avoid and escape in selfishness. And, and there's a fruit in Galatians 5. Paul says that the acts of the flesh, when we root ourselves in self, are obvious, sexual immorality, 
impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That, that's the fruit of, of, of when suffering and hardship and pain comes and we root ourselves into escapism. That's the root, that's the fruit. But the very next verse but there's, a, there, there are fruit, there's fruit that gets produced by rooting ourselves in spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. And then he goes on and says, since we live by the spirit, since we're rooting ourselves in our suffering, in our pain, in our hurt, since we're rooting ourselves in the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Remember the divine nature we told you about, that we, we, we have the divine nature imprinted in, on us when we believe, when we, we put our faith, our trust in Jesus, right? So now we're walking with him, the spirit of God, organically growing slowly over time, slowly over time, drip, 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 little bit by little bit, passing tests, passing trials, growing, becoming mature, complete, lacking nothing, having everything we need for life and godliness. We're walking, we're walking, we're walking, and we're growing and we're growing. There is this beautiful picture in the book of Exodus where Moses is wanting to see God's glory, and God says, I'll let you see. I'll I'll let my goodness pass before you. Moses is tucked into the cleft of the rock because God's glory is so great that it would kill him dead. And so God's presence passes before him, and so God declares himself, the Lord, the Lord. This is Exodus 34, 5. Yahweh, Yahweh, I am that I am. And then he describes himself as this in verse 6. A God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in, here's this word that we've been talking about all day, steadfast love kind of love that stands its ground, that doesn't move, that's not sh- shifting shadows, James 1.17 says, right? God's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Our God is steadfast, and because his divine nature is being imprinted upon our hearts, then we can become steadfast as well. The divine power of God is at work inside of our hearts. He is unwavering, and he is unrelenting, so we can trust him. His divine nature is in us. His divine power is working on our behalf. We have everything we need for life and godliness. He promises never to leave us or forsake us, Joshua 1 and 5. He does not change like shifting shadows, James 1, 17. He is solid rock beneath our feet, Matthew 7, 24. So the writer of Hebrews says, look to him. Consider him. Keep your eyes on him. When opposition comes, when pressure comes from within, from without, when trouble happens, when suffering comes, Keep your eyes, not on people, keep your eyes on Jesus and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you and he will never let you down. Aren't you grateful for that, everybody? Father, um, in the name of Jesus, I come to you, Lord. Thank you for the word of the Lord. God, I come to you for these people who are in this room, those who are watching or listening online. God, I pray that Christ would be formed in us. I pray that the word of God would, would, be, would be formed in us, would grow in our hearts and our lives, that wherever my words have failed today, that, that your word would not, that your spirit, the Bible says, leads and guides us into all truth. God, there is so much 
smoke and there is so much confusion about everything right now. And I pray in the name of Jesus that clarity would come to people, that their minds would be open to the truth of God's word, that the love of God is so real and so pure and so, so much for them and towards them. They are dearly loved children of God. And I pray that no weapon formed against them by the enemy that would confuse their minds about who they are or whose they are could be formed. I pray against that in the name of Jesus. I pray that peace and goodness and virtue would go to them, O oh God. I pray that day by day, even when they make mistakes, that just like Peter, they would get back up. Get back up, stand their ground. That in the face of opposition and trouble and struggle and loss, that they would stand their ground. I pray strength. I pray that they would be like a tree planted by streams of living water that produces fruit in season, God, the way the Bible says. I pray they would grow and become and be strong and courageous. I pray for wisdom and clarity and hope and joy and life and peace grace over them. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said a good amen. amen. Thank you guys so, so, so very much. God bless you. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.